Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or proliftdoors.com/portland. A quick update before we get started. In the episode we talk about how Alex had submitted his application to become the treasurer for the Oregon Republican Party and then had withdrawn it. Well, this was recorded on the Wednesday before the convention. The following Saturday, a few days later, there was some parliamentary stuff that happened and Alex was actually nominated from the floor of the of the meeting. And he was elected, 52 to 50. So Alex is now the treasurer for the Oregon Republican Party. So congratulations, Alex. And with that, we hope you enjoy the episode. On this episode of the podcast, we have Alex McGoddad. He is the uh, former chairman of the Union County Republicans. And that's my third attempt at that. And I still butchered his last name, which is silly because I've known you for a couple of years now. Um, <laughs> so I apologize for that. Say, say it for the, for the listeners. How do you pronounce your last name? Uh, we, my family always pronounces it McCadded. McCadded. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I just have a hard time with that. But anyway, uh, well, the, the, the Scottish Arabic hybrid, and there's only like 20 of us in the world. So got it. Got it. Awesome combo. Good man. <laughs> uh, so the former chairman of the Union County Republicans, uh, treasurer for the Young Republicans, correct? Yep. And was running for treasurer of the Oregon Republican Party before you uh, pulled your name. And are no longer running for that position. And that, yes. uh, so this will air on Saturday. And I believe that is actually the election when you would have been, you know, on the ballot had you uh, still been in. So uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. And uh, why don't you take a couple minutes to introduce yourself and fill in all the stuff I left out? Well, thanks, James and Nick. Uh, it's good to be on here. I've been listening to the show for a few years. So you know, it's uh, really cool to actually like be a guest on it. So I'm really excited. Uh, so yeah, I just uh, moved to Lynn County after spending the last eight years in Union County. Um, the last uh, year and a half I was there, I was elected uh, chair of the Union County Republican Party. And that was you know, a pretty great honor to be able to make those relationships and connections over time and be chosen for that position. And I think I got a lot of really good work done. Um, other things I do, I am a journalist in my spare time. Um, I am the uh, news director at EO Live TV, which is the uh, internet news station in La Grande. Um, even though I live in Lynn County, a lot of that's remote, so I still do news stuff over there. I'm the treasurer of Young Republicans of Oregon. I just got involved in uh, Lynn County Republicans, then I've uh, moved over here. Um, way back in the day, I was the president of the EOU College Republicans, and that's kind of how I got my start in Republican politics in Oregon. Uh, 2014, I moved to the Grand from uh, a little town called Los Angeles and uh, decided to see what it was like and uh, really got uh, addicted to the Oregon way of things, I guess. Um, and 
that's kind of what I've been doing. Working, spent the last eight years working on campaigns all over the place, presidential campaigns, governors' races, that kind of thing. And, you know, it's uh, it's been an interesting ride. Yeah, I asked if you were at um, Eastern Oregon. Were you like a, a poli sci or government major or anything over there? Yeah, so at EOU, I double majored in public administration and politics, economics. Um, you know, I, I uh, the first like cool political office I held is that I was the student member of my community college's board of trustees. And I got turned on to the wonderful world of public administration, which is all about the, the nuts and bolts of public policy. You learn how to write budgets and fund things like that. So that's uh, what I realized I really wanted to do. So currently, my, my day job is that I am a city manager. I'm the city recorder of the city of Sotaville. So all it paid off. Have you considered running for Metro Council? Yeah, <laughs> it's a little far away from uh, Wayne County, unless I could, you know, register to vote at one of your houses, I guess. It's yeah, probably not going to work out. Well, I just wanted to say, I, I appreciate you being involved in the party. I think that that's kind of taken, um, not take advantage, but uh, a lot of people who say they're involved are not involved in the party at all. And I think that that's an integral part of, of being an activist in uh, not just in Oregon, but in general. Uh, I know Nick and I know a lot of Republicans who've kind of given up on the party. And, you know, every time something crazy happens, I take a deep breath and I remind myself, this is why I'm involved is because if I leave, the only people left are the ones pushing this, this stuff. So um, you recently withdrew your, your interest in the ORP treasurer position. Um, I'm curious what kind of influenced that decision and why you decided to run and then kind of pull your, your name out. So um, it's something I had thought about for a little while. Um, the uh, At the last central committee meeting that the state held, which was uh, where they talked about the NAB uh, participation proposal, um, which I, I thought was a good idea, but had some pitfalls that needed to be um, changed legislatively before it was improved. Um, so, also, real, real quick, oh, just some, some definitions. Uh, central committee is where every county sends delegates. And so it's yeah. a group of 200 plus leaders from around the state and NAV, non-affiliated voter. So the proposal was to allow non-affiliated voters to vote in the Republican primary. Yeah. So, all right, carry on. Yeah, so um, another uh, friend of the pot, Stephen Lloyd, uh, was there that day. And at the end of it, I asked him what just happened. And he said, we spent eight hours uh, talking and got nothing accomplished, which is the best summary I could give for that day. Um, it was just eight hours of vitriol and anger and people just kind of beating on each other, not for any good reason other than people were mad. And it it was just a really painful moment to watch. So my thought was like, well, the ORP needs to have something that is sequestered away from drama. There's an opening for treasurer. I know how to be a treasurer. I've done that several times as a government administrator, um, political campaigns, that kind of thing. So that is one thing I know I can do. And one thing I know I can sequester from the drama. So that was, uh, that was the idea behind it. Um, the other, the thing that led me to drop out is that a few weeks ago, I attended an executive committee meeting. So separate from the central committee, it's the uh, chairs and vice chairs of the CD organizations, the, the six party officers, and the finance chair and the PCP chair. So those were like 20 people or so, something like that um, on that group. And that, that was uh, kind of a mic. Kind of like a steering committee, essentially. Yeah. And that was ultimately kind of a microcosm of all the problems with the ORP. It was three hours of a bunch of miserable armchair parliamentarians yelling at each other about nothing. 
Um, it seems like there may be some real legal problems with the way uh, the vacancy in the treasurer position has been handled. Uh, the end after two hours of discussion was uh, not to solve the problems, but uh, maybe talk about it later and also surprise uh, vote uh, to appropriate $5,000 for an audit of the party's finances. And there was one no vote. And that person said, I'm voting no because this wasn't appropriated in the budget. And it was like, OK, that's a that's a big problem. And, uh, you know, somebody else afterward was like, yeah, there is there is money. So like there's not even a straight answer. There's a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. One of my my favorite quotes is that speculation is the en enemy of calm. And there was three hours of speculation, which meant three hours of no calm. And that was all that was. And I sat back for a while thinking about um, everything it would take to win you know, whipping votes, getting endorsement, all of that. And I thought, you know, I could definitely do it, but this is not worth it. <laughs> like if this is what it's going to be a couple times a month, maybe once every week, you know, for as long as it goes on, um, it's just going to be a bunch of miserable people berating each other. Like if I spent the next eight months watching paint dry, it would be a better service to the party than whatever this is. So, so um, I, I kind um, of... Man. <laughs> I, I was yeah. going to say armchair parliamentarians was actually the name of a ska band that I was briefly a part of an undergrad. So I, it's funny that you referenced that all in, all in good time. Find us on Spotify. No, just kidding. No, no part of that is true. Don't do that. Um, but I, I was going to say, was there a, um, is there another candidate who had also put his or her name forward that you're like, you know, this person, you know, also kind of like has a good grip on stuff and is really going to be able to make steps forward for the party. Or was it just that for, for you yourself to, to go through the process at this point in time, and see the maybe less than whole amount of work that you'd be able to get done or less than, you know, Sisyphean progress you'd be able to make. You just said, you know what, maybe uh, maybe two years or four years from now, it would be a better, better time of my use. Because you're obviously willing to put in the work, but you want to make sure that you're going to be able to get the results from it. And you're not just kind of, you know, shouting into the wind or something like that. It did, was it one of those two or... You know, it was kind of a mix of both. So uh, the one person who has officially filed is Carol Williams. She's a central committee delegate from uh, Marion County. Uh, in my, all of my interactions with her, she's been a really wonderful person. Um, she's got a lot of experience as a bookkeeper, so she's going to have no problem keeping the ORP's finances up to snuff. I think she's going to do an excellent job in that role. Um, I know, uh, what was it, at the, the central committee meeting James and I were at last summer, yeah, uh, there was a, so I, I had a motion a couple of days before the meeting, a couple of recalls had been announced against two Republican senators. So during the kind of open forum uh, part, I came up with a motion to say, hey, can the ORP put out a statement saying we oppose the recall of all incumbent Republican state legislators? And it was killed with like 90 percent of the vote because uh, the two people who were under recall were the, um, the senators who had just introduced Senate Bill 865. And I was faced with the looming specter of having to fight two recall elections rather than build up the party and prepare for other elections that were upcoming. I was like, OK, if the ORP can take a stand uh, and say, hey, guys, no recalls, they would stand down. Um, the, the motion failed by like 90 percent or something like that. That would be about my time. James might have a different estimation, but it was, it was pretty resounding to kill the motion. Um, I, I voted against it. And not because it's not something I disagreed with. Uh, it's just from a, a uh, procedural perspective. I think that's something that needed a bit more debate and discussion. And um, 
I thought it should have been on the agenda, not uh, brought up in the open open forum. That was all it was. It was at the at the tail oh, yeah. end, a very long day, and that sort of thing I felt like needed a lot more discussion before being voted upon. And it it just it it, it to me it didn't feel like the time or the place. So, apologies yeah. for not. that's a very reasonable reason to vote no and i'm i'm all good there's no hard feelings there it's it's just politics and it's just procedure and we were all pretty tired i had to drive back to the grand at the end of that day so it's uh, um, it was chuck thompson and who was the other one uh it was bill hansel and lynn finley oh okay that was a different okay sorry yeah yeah and very curious yeah so at, at the after that meeting, um, Carol was one of the people who came up to talk to me and go, hey, that's that's a really good thing. We need to be opposing the recall of these people. And she you know, helped prompt the Marion County Republican Party to put out a statement saying that they oppose recalls and uh, but recalls of our state legislators to kind of discourage those people. So that was a really great thing that she did. And I'm very thankful that she did that for Eastern Oregon. So uh, when, it, when it comes to evaluating her as somebody who can be a good leader, Every interaction I've had has been very positive, and she has lots of experience. Um, the reason is that I thought I could contribute something as treasurer beyond just being good at bookkeeping, um, given my you know professional background, was um, you know I wanted there to be somebody under thirty on the executive committee. I thought that would be really cool. Um, I think Dallas might have been the youngest one there at thirty-six. Maybe Jessica Davidson or Kevin Moss, but there's there's nobody under thirty up there that I understand. And I also wanted there to be somebody from uh, outside the I-5 corridor serving as an officer, you know, sorry, Uh, serving as an officer. I thought it'd be cool to have, you know, somebody who's connected with donors and elected officials and activists over there so that we can really keep those people looped into the the party. And, you know, Carol, again, great at bookkeeping, great friend to Eastern Oregon. She doesn't have the connections and she's not under 30, um, which... Uh, not not a bad thing, but those are those were things that I thought I could contribute that she couldn't. So, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Very cool, very cool. Um, but then beyond that, it was just seeing that dysfunction and going, "Goodness, there are so many better things I could be doing with my time." Um, Carol's going to take care of the books. I'm going to find a campaign to work on. I will find, you know, I will work with Lynn County um, Republicans where I'm now with PCP, and that'll be what I'll be doing with my time. So. Um, that was what drove my decision was just watching the dysfunction there. Um, you know, an abundant majority of the executive committee just seems seemed more conserved, uh, concerned with uh, opposing Dallas than opposing Tina Kotick. So it's like, great, I'm going to go somewhere where that's not the goal. One of the one of the frustrating things about party politics is that it's all bottoms up. There is no strong leadership uh by by design and i don't know maybe the democrats have a better system or i think i think it's it the design is is similar but maybe they have a bit more um authoritarianism in their in their blood that they <laughs> are okay with one person calling the shots but um <clears throat> you know you're you're basically at the county level you sign up to be a precinct committee person which is trivial everyone should do it and then the pcps elect delegates the the delegates then represent the uh, central committee at the state level. And they, so it's a little bit different how you get the executive committee because you have the, the congress, the CD chairs, the congressional, I'm actually not entirely sure how they get chosen. Oh yeah. But, that's to explain. What's that? At the, uh, the presidential delegate selection committee every four years, that's when the CD officers are elected for four year terms. Okay. Got it. So they, they, I mean, just for the listeners, they serve a similar function as a sort of like a county chair, except it's for the congressional districts. 
and there's really no county. They just are a, a leadership team that serves on the executive committee. Um, but what you end up with is the chairman who is supposed to be leading the party really is at the mercy of the group, the, the, the collected body, I guess. And if you have made some enemies with the executive committee, uh, you have a hard time getting stuff done. And so uh, a few weeks after, or maybe even one week after you pulled your, your nomination or your interest in, in the treasurer, Dallas Heard, the chairman, resigned, citing the same kind of dysfunction that you're referring to here, uh, which I think was a bit telling uh, about what's going on. And I'm not totally, this is inside baseball, I'm not totally convinced that they're doing that uh, appropriately either. Um, every, I don't, I'm not super familiar with the ORP bylaws, but typically when a, a chairman resigns, the vice chair holds the position until a new chair can be elected by the full body, which would be the central committee. I think what they've decided to do is just take the vice chair, shift them up to chair, and now they're running an election for vice chair, which I don't believe is correct. But again, I don't, what do I know? I lent out my Robert's Rules book, so I'd have to. <laughs> I can't look it up. But it just it just shows that what's what's going on there, and uh, it's very frustrating. But like I said, my my thought process is I can be that voice of reason, kind of like what you were talking about, what you were trying to do. Um, I can I can stand in the gap and kind of be one more voice of just not the op, whatever the opposite of dysfunction is function function yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anti dysfunction I, I would hope yeah um, so I Alex I was uh, kind of curious you had um, you had been the chair of a of a county party that's uh, certainly a lot more rural than what what James and I are used to in Multnomah County where there's a lot of um, Urban interests. Um, I'm, in Washington. I'm sorry. I'm in Washington County now. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's the okay. um, But a lot more than than kind of what we're used to. And I was kind of curious for your thoughts on what it was like to manage uh, to to run a party where we're interested in you know as Republicans and putting forward good policy, moving Oregon forward, getting businesses to move here, getting taxes lowered so that the state can become affordable. You know, you see counties all over the place trying to join greater Idaho and state of Jefferson and all stuff like that. Um, but as a, as a more rural community, I would uh, perhaps stereotypically and perhaps misinformedly assume that a lot of the folks uh, out there are, are more likely to be, you know, farther to the right, diehard Trump supporters, stuff like that versus, although we frankly have a, a fair few in, in Multnomah County ourselves. And I think there's a lot of them in leadership positions at the county GOP. Um, but I think that there might be a lot more interests um, with the with the farther end of the party than more the, the centrist end of the party. Did you kind of find a juxtaposition in managing those two or did you were you able to kind of helm the ship in such a way that you're able to, to get everybody rowing in the same direction and still move forward with what you thought was a good policy and appropriate work for the Union County GOP to be doing? You know, um, I found a lot of the people who were really interested in attending the Union County Republicans meeting and, and being involved were a lot more policy focused than you would expect. Uh, you know, the lay conservative over there is probably thinking a lot more about ideological things. But we talked a lot more about um, policy and party work, um, a lot more than you'd probably expect, again, for that just your I think your read of the people over there is pretty correct. People love Donald Trump. People love um 
yeah, what are, what's my Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, all those. The, uh, the far right is uh, very popular over in Eastern Oregon. Um, you know, I, I don't personally use that as a pejorative myself. I think it's just kind of where people are at there, especially in rural Oregon, democratic policies and federal policies have just been hammering the place for decades. Like, yeah, of course people are going to be as far to the opposite of whatever that is. Um, you know, that it's just, it's kind of a no brainer that people voted for Trump because Trump was like, Hey, timber's cool. You know, things like that. Um, farming's cool. They had eight years of Obama and they were like, God, his farming policies are miserable. So yeah, whatever the opposite of that is, we're going to go for it. You know, the, the rhetoric was just kind of there to get people interested in adopting policies and supporting candidates whose policies were helpful for the area economically. Um, I know like, uh, there was there was still a bit of interest in principle. If you remember, James and I were both at the immigration caucus of the the platform meeting, and uh, what we did was, you know, we we have this vision of the platform just being a statement of principles rather than, um, uh, you know, a, a very long list of things we want to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was, you know, after I went there, I gave my report. Here's what we do, and everybody's like, "Yeah, that's great. We should be simplifying things and making it easier to understand." They weren't like, "Oh, what did you do to X, Y, and Z thing?" They're like, "Great, this is awesome. This is what we need." Um, you know, the county party had its own platform itself that, again, was very, very conservative. Um, but uh, and we wanted to be able to vet candidates who came to ask us for our support, and I think that's the reason the county wrote its own uh, platform. But at the end of the day, you know, we were still very um, policy oriented, you know, one of our, uh, our PCPs, my replacement was the mayor of Elgin forever. So he's a very sharp policy guy. Um, one of our county commissioners was a PCP. Um, we had, you know, scientists, people who work for USDA, um, you know, just really people from all stripes who are in their day jobs usually have very technical things that they do. Um, so when it came down to go, okay, you know, what kind of candidates should we support? What kind of policy should we be supporting? A lot of the conversations at the central committee meetings ultimately came down to policy rather than rhetoric. So, so that's honestly, that's, that's awesome for two reasons. The first of which is a shameless plug because James and I, and a couple of our friends had done an episode on here in which we eviscerated the, the, the ORP platform for, for being both very arduously specific for stuff that it has no reason being specific about, but also because it, I don't think really represents where a lot of the Republicans in the state of Oregon are. And it's, we just need a statement of principles, kind of like what you're talking about. If you can't fit on the back of a postcard, it's probably too specific for a stick party guiding philosophy. Uh, but the second reason is I'm, I'm I, if I could, I would get your entire answer just plastered on a bumper sticker and just paste it around because I, I asked the question the way that I did, because that's, I feel like a pretty common view, certainly in, in Portland and, and perhaps in Multnomah County and kind of, you know, kind of on I-5 down into Salem and into Eugene or whatever, that there's this uh, amount of dismissiveness of folks east of the Cascades because like, well, that's, you know, a more sparsely populated part of the state. And that's all they all they're interested in, in is their own farms. And there's not a lot of, you know, depth or heft for policy. If you want policy specifics, you need to talk to people in Salem. You need to talk to people in Portland. And it's yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, you, you get that. Because like, we get that all the time in, in huh. Portland and in Multnomah County. And it's like, it's such a uh, sure that I, James and I did not vote for Donald Trump. And there's a lot of individuals uh, in a lot of different parts of the state that, well, I say the, the state, I'm not in Oregon right now. 
Palm Springs. You can see all the sun behind me. That's not Oregon. <laughs> we don't have that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a lot of folks in Oregon who did vote for Donald Trump. And it's so easy to just dismiss out of hand anybody who supports Trump or any of the conservative policies as somebody who's not serious as a, as a public policy thinker, when in fact the exact opposite is true. And there's probably a lot more heft and a lot more depth from a lot of those individuals than there is from something we get at, at Multnomah County on the GOP level or the city as a whole, because all they want to do is talk about, you know, hippie lefty Democrat stuff and don't care a wig about the entire rest of the state. And they just assume food's always going to show up and they always assume livestock is going to work the way that it needs to and timber is just going to be available and whatever. And never take any more than a couple of seconds to think about how these processes actually work, where it's for a lot of other parts of the state, that's both the area of subject matter expertise and people's livelihood. You have to know how that stuff works. So it's it's interesting and it's refreshing to hear you say that there's a lot more policy heft than I think a lot of individuals in Portland would assume. Oh, Yeah. Well, like we can point to one. We had a, an event for Christine Dries, and she came out and wanted to get some people there to meet with her a few months ago. And the big topic of conversation, it probably took up about half the time possibly, was like uh, wolf policy. And you know, I think the stereotype is that Eastern Oregon were like, oh, we don't like these wolves. And the Western, the Western side is like, oh, they're, they're natural. They're part of the environment. You should just leave them there. Uh, never mind the fact that they aren't in Western Oregon. They're over here, um, you know, killing livestock. Um, you know, the thing that was brought up were a couple of problems. One is that the wolves are here, they're killing, they're killing livestock, they're killing animals. Um, occasionally they kill people. That's a lot more rare, but still they're, you know, they're killing livestock. Um, when they don't kill livestock, when, when there is a kill, it's usually around a lot more cattle and the trauma will actually harm the cattle beyond the point of usability. Um, in a number of cases, especially if a cow is pregnant and there's wolves in the pen and they're being chased around, that pregnant cow will miscarry. Like it's it's very rare that it doesn't. So right now there is a state compensation fund. I think it's like four hundred thousand dollars or something like that um, to uh, you know compensate just for predation. So a cow has to die. It's not a cow was uh, injured or you know sustained trauma that ruined the animal as a result or a cow miscarried. It's just the cow died and also. Uh, the discretion about whether or not it was a wolf is left to an ODFW employee who can, apropos of no evidence at all, go, no, nah, it wasn't wolf kill. And that is the limit of the accountability. It's just whether or not they want to report it that day. Hmm. So, you know, Bobby Levy, uh, the state representative over there, uh, had a, a bill this session uh, to increase the fund for a million dollars over the biennium from the $400,000 it currently is at. And I saw a letter somebody sent to Vicki Breeze Iverson going, you shouldn't do that. Farmers lie about how many cattle are killed. They don't even need $400,000. Like, oh, that's great. What's really happening is the state is being misleading about how many wolf predations there are and just how bad the scale of the problem is. And that is problematic. You know, wolves are even in the, the Grand Ronde Valley where everybody is over there. Um, they come down in the valley. Wolf packs are there. They go in, um, you know, they... They, you know, they hunt livestock and they're in the hills, even, you know, Mount Emily Recreation Area is the big fun um, place where people like to go uh, hiking uh, right next to the Grand. And there are wolves on that hill. So, you know, people also call us crazy for, you know, being so nuts about guns. Well, there are predators in your daily life. So, of course, you're carrying a gun around all the time. There might be a cougar showing up in your backyard. You go up into the hill just for a little hike. You might see a wolf. You might see a bear. Of course, you're carrying a gun. Like. 
you know, moving in Lynn County, I haven't really had a need to bring my gun out a whole lot because like there's no predators around here and it's a pretty safe neighborhood. I was carrying all the time in Eastern Oregon because I was out and about often enough in places where there are predators that, you know, it made sense to have a firearm. Um, and it's, it would, you know, there are the situations where you would possibly need one are, well, they're just a lot more rampant over there. So yeah, that's uh, that's the juxtaposition of policy and conservatism uh, Interesting. for Eastern Oregon. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say they probably did not increase that to a million dollars. I'm going to have to go look at the appropriation again. I think it failed, but I'm not sure off the top of my head. Okay, I'm just I'm just guessing. I had no. I, that's yeah. such a, a foreign thing to those of us who live in the city that um, wolves killing livestock. I mean, you think about it, but I think one of the things that really kind of made it clear to me how stark that divide was, was when we had those wildfires a year or two ago and the smoke blew into Portland. And so the Portlanders were, Oh, I can't ride my bike in the smoke because the air quality sucks. And I'm just talking to people like, you know, Shelly Bosser Davis and people who lived out in the middle of it. And that destroyed hundreds, thousands of lives. And Portland only just became aware of it because people couldn't bike to work. They had to drive their Prius instead. And I'm just like, what a self-centered, you know, group of people that you only care about something because it ruined your, (laughs) your commute and you, your air quality, which, you know, air quality is important, but compared to what people were dealing with just to the East of us, it was, it was nothing. And, but that's what it took to make Eastern Oregon problems, you know, visible to Portlanders was, air quality i can't have my craft yeah. ipa sitting outside anymore i know <laughs> yeah in the summer we call that tuesday that's just basically three months of smoke you get um it's it's lots and lots of fun to live through yeah my my previous um government job i was the manager of uh, oregon's only translator district so they operated television towers in northeast oregon and one summer there was a fire on that mountaintop so we were about to lose, you know, millions of dollars of infrastructure, not just used by the television station, but also by OPB, um, the Oregon State Police, uh, USDA, um, like several radio stations. It was like it was a lot of bad, oh, the ISP that served, you know, wireless Internet for east of the valley, like all of that gone because the forest land up there is just managed so poorly that things just burn down. And, you know, in one day we might have almost lost all of it. So. I've been talking to people who uh, in my in my metro council race, talking to some of the farmers and folks who live outside the urban growth boundary, but that is being encroached upon by by metro and not so much by the urban growth boundary. But what metro is doing is just buying up land outside the urban growth boundary, uh, using a lot of times, I believe, park funds to buy just whatever. And then they don't manage it because they have they're a bunch of city people like me, <laughs> they don't know how to manage a forest. <laughs> and so it just goes unmanaged. And there were actually fires in Western Washington County. Uh, I think this last summer, maybe two summers ago, smaller ones, not to the extent that we had in the Cascades, but we had wildfires because of unmanaged land and a lot of it belonging to Metro. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a, I get it, big problem. And, and you need to manage forests. You can't just buy them and sit on them or else they, uh, they burn down. It's unfortunate. Well, and I, to the, to the point that Alex made earlier, I think it's also, you, you need informed information and policy ideas from the folks who's kind of, that's their life. It's not, you know, 
Tina Kotek can't just go through and decide. It's like, all right, here's the best way to fight forest fires. Like, right, cool, you got a lot of forest fires. You got a lot of lumber in, in North Portland as you you know you walk to your spa place in the morning or whatever. It's just like, yeah, man, that's yeah. not quite that. You're maybe not a, the, the subject matter expert on this particular piece of uh, of public policy here. But Alex, so you are you're now a PCP in Lynn County uh, after yep. chairing the the Union County GOP. What is um, as somebody who's kind of like worn two different hats uh what's it like going from one of the and i get if if you're in lynn are you uh your eugene is lynn county right that's lane county it's lane okay uh so so there's it's also still going to be a relatively rural uh district it's it's going to be close yeah. to more similar to what you had but what's what's is there like a compare and contrast or is there just like it's just a different set of people and you're more tuned into obviously the policies of you know, west of the Cascades, I five type thing, coastal area probably. Well, be you'd be surprised. So the I, I was born in Nashville, grew up in Los Angeles, and then spent the last eight years in Eastern Oregon. Um, and now, for the first time in my life, I have a Democratic congressman. For the very first time, I was represented by the one Republican congressman in LA County, uh, hmm. or like the one Republican district uh, for all the time I lived there, and. Uh, now I'm suddenly not there anymore. So not having a Democratic congressman anymore is uh, interesting. Uh, but the the news is good for Lynn County. The redistricting looks like it's been good to us. It's going to be a lot more red. Um, so I live in the city of Lebanon. Um, I'm the manager of the city of Sotaville, which is right across. And the boundary line between Jamie Cates District and Marty Wildey's district is right in between those two cities. And that is being pushed way down. So now all of it's going to be in Jamie Case district. So everywhere I look, things are good. Um, I'm going to keep my Republican state legislators. Um, we've got really good Republicans on the county commissioners. Um, and uh, who knows, CD5 is kind of a wild card. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, Kirk, Kirk Schrader is a pretty moderate guy, and he's been there for a really long time. Well, he's being, uh, he's being attacked by, from the left by uh, Jimmy McLeod Skinner. So yeah. he, might, he might not even make it through the primary, which he might not. Interesting. Yeah. Well, her grassroots game has always been really good. Uh, I mean, I got to see it in person in Eastern Oregon several years ago. Uh, of course, we killed it, but it's because there are like five Democrats in CD2. So, um, <laughs> but she got five, all five of them and a couple of Republicans to vote for her. So, you know, um, she's probably going to be able to do a much better job in CD5. Lately, so if the last article I read is that she had a couple of county parties uh, endorse her. So county democratic parties endorsed her and, and Marianne being the biggest one, uh, which is unusual. I don't think the Republicans, I don't think we endorse anyone in the primary. And then in the general, of course, we, we endorse whoever the Republican is, but uh, yeah, very unusual, but you know, reading the headline and then re and then knowing how parties work, it kind of it almost doesn't surprise me uh, if again coming back to Nick's comment about uh, our interactions with the Multnomah County GOP, uh, it was about forty five people in the Multnomah County GOP, and it was probably the most the forty five most extreme Republicans in the entire county <laughs> were the ones who did, who were part of that that uh, that group. I could imagine something similar on the democratic side where the people who show up to meetings and the people who want to go be a part of the party are the most extreme. And McLeod Skinner is uh, quite a bit further to the left than Schrader is. So um, 
just interesting uh, dynamics on the left there. But I'm, I'm kind of in the opposite boat where I have never been represented by a Republican congressman. I was in Blumenauer's district and now I'm in Bonavici's district and I have no interaction with either of them. You know, I, it's, it's funny being involved in the party. You get to know people, you get to, you know, basically I, I would not every Republican in elected office, but a lot of them I know personally, I have never met the congressman who, who represents me or been in the same room with them. It's, uh, Suzanne Bonamici, if you're listening, come on the pod. pod. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> Probably not. But. but well, so Alex, depending on if it's Jimmy or Lori Dream or whoever gets through the primary, if they if they can go on and win and beat Jamie McLeod Skinner, we're saying that they've got you to thank. So we'll uh, we'll get a nice and lost thank you note from Congressman Crumpack or Congressman Dreamer. Yeah, I'm hoping uh, Congressman Dreamer because um, I just like her more. But you know, whoever it is. I'm a uh, Lori Dreamer fan as well, but uh, friend of the pod. Also, she's been on. Yes, yes. she's been on. Uh, Jimmy, if you want to come uh, pitch your case, we'd love to have you as well. <laughs> yeah, but that's, uh, yeah, also be a fun like, guy. You know, it's been interesting to watch his uh, his change in uh, tactics because uh, he ran for CD two in 2020. Um, and you know, I watched him there and his campaign was basically the, the entirety of his message was, I am a Trump clone vote for me. And that was it. There was not really any, any other substance or policy behind that. I am Donald Trump 2.0. If you want that in Congress, I'm your man. And, and then, throw a bunch yeah. of money behind it. Like <laughs> exactly. Um, his, so I, he, he gave the speech at Lynn County Republicans last night and it was completely the opposite of the way he was talking. You know, he's, he's still presenting as conservative, obviously, um, but it was less about I am Donald Trump 2.0 and more than I'm Jimmy and I believe the things you believe. So it was uh, it was very interesting to watch that that change in rhetoric. Yeah, interesting. And, and speaking of he's another one of those guys who's not involved in the party at all. I, I don't even know that he's a PCP. He's he, I never seen him at meetings. I don't see him around. It makes it makes it difficult to support someone who has never been around, you know, who just flips a switch and all of a sudden they want to be, they want to go run for Congress. So, so I'll, in, in the spirit of at least moving on from Duncan on Jimmy, not that I'm <laughs> not supportive of Lloyd Sorry, or our voting in our district. Um, but I, but I think James, that's actually a really good point is uh, if for somebody that's not involved in the machinations of the party and somebody who doesn't maybe have those relationships with some of the grassroots, Alex, again, as somebody who's now been involved in two County parties and has run one of them, What's some of the things that you, you know, learn and pick up and kind of figure out how to do? I mean, is it is it solely about building the relationships? Is it solely about having something on a CV where you say, look, I show up to stuff, I'm involved? Or what are some of the benefits for, I, we say this all the time, anybody who listens to this podcast, go be a PCP, find a way to get involved. Like, it's not just about running for Congress or running for governor. Like, you have to do stuff at like at this level and then kind of work your way up. But why do you feel that that's important to go do that? You know, uh, I was always at a town hall for a representative over in Northeast Oregon, Bobby Levy, the other day, and somebody asked her, what can Republicans do to win? And she said, vote Republican. And I was like, no, that's that's like one percent of it. Maybe Uh, you have to volunteer Republican. Um, If you really care about getting good people with good policy elected, you have to make phone calls and you have to knock on doors. Otherwise, they aren't going to win. Field wins elections. Uh, sometimes you have a lot of earned media that wins you elections. Sometimes, uh, usually not the case. Um, I think uh, 
you know, Donald Trump on that, that point is a little more of an aberration than the rule. Um, you know, in uh, Union County, we won elections in three counties in the total times I was there uh, because I organized the deployment of volunteers in races. So we won a school board election in Union County. The one candidate came to us and said, hey, I'm running for the school board of Imbler. It's a small town over there. Uh, please help me campaign. We sat down, we cracked open the, the, the uh, data that the ORP gave us, and we made phone calls to every person there. We called every Republican and said, this guy's endorsed by the Republicans. He's got good policy. Vote for him. We called up every non-Republican and said, this guy's got good policy. Vote for him. And he won. Um, you know, then we were like, okay, what else can we do? Because Imbler is a relatively small community. It's not like a million people's living there. Um, we uh, started talking to other people. And Coos County was like, hey, we need to win some elections. And I was like, great, let's have people make phone calls for your elections. So Coos County gave us a calling list. And a couple of the people that we called for won their elections in Coos County during that special district election. And then we deployed, uh, we deployed volunteers to uh, make a few hundred phone calls during the, um, what was it? the Newburgh school board recall. And uh, we helped turn the tide over there. So I don't remember what the, the balance of that was, but you, know, you can attribute probably 200 of those yes votes to us calling people and making sure that they vote and uh, support the candidates who are trying to be recalled. Um, so that's really what you get to do as a PCP is that you get plugged into an organization uh, that has the capabilities to turn elections around as long as you're willing to put in the work. A lot of the people at Union County Republicans didn't really want to sit there and make phone calls all day. Um, but the people who did ended up sitting down and doing it, and we were winning elections. Um, we would go to the county fairs, and every single fair that summer, we had a Republican booth, and we were talking to people about what the policy stands for, letting them know how they can get involved, um, you know, helping people register to vote, that kind of thing. So that's what you get if you're going to be a PCP. Um, you just have to make sure your county party is willing to do something. And if your county party leadership is a little ambivalent, you can go, well, hey, here's something that I want to do. Can we make that happen? I want to, you know, uh, help uh, somebody who's running for city council who is conservative in my town. Can I have the county's voter data for that city and, you know, make those phone calls and get a few friends together to run that kind of person. So that's the, the big benefits I would say that come from being a PCP is that you are the foot soldier of the party. You get to go there and you get to make decisions and get things done. Um, I guess the, the other thing is a little uh, more rare is that PCPs are in charge of appointing vacancies in the legislature and in counties with uh, partisan county commissioner races, you appoint the uh, vacancies on your county commissioners if they're in that party. So you get a lot of power as a political person. If your senator or your state representative or your partisan county commissioner becomes vacant, you're in charge of appointing their replacements. I would say Very from cool. a on an, I mean, that's absolutely right. Uh, on an, uh, Just to add to that, though, on an individual le uh, level, I think it just shows that you are willing to be a part of, of the community and not just do stuff for your own benefit. I mean, every every politician, I think, to a certain extent is is doing it because of ego or because, of, you know, they want to see their name in the paper. Uh, but if you're a part of your party, at least you know people and people know you and the people who matter at least have heard your name. And, you know, I, I'm talking to these running into people running for governor who have never done anything for the party and they think they're just going to go jump to the highest level. I mean, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into and, and being a PCP is step one to figuring that out. So um, it's, it just, 
I, I, I see it as a as the baseline. The number one thing that you should do if you want to be involved in politics is, is become a PCP. If you ever want to run for elected office, if you ever want to do anything politically, that's how you do it. Yeah. So very true. I agree. That that note, I'd add, um, you know, the other good place to go is for your your cities and your local governments always have committees that are appointed that they need people on. The thing that makes me really mad about the candidates who have no government experience, like, oh, I'm a total outsider. Okay, so you're telling me that every single local government board committee commission in your community is 100% fully staffed. It would be the only one in the state. You are not doing anybody any favors by running for governor instead of falling onto your volunteering on your parks budget committee. Like that's something you need to do. You don't need to run for governor. You need to sit down for a meeting every year and vote on a budget. So and it's boring. It shows that you can get through the boring parts of being yeah. a, a the, and you know, I've, I've complained about this in the past too. Everybody wants to go to protests. Everyone wants to make a sign and go yell at people. That's not where change is made. Change is made at your city council meetings, at your parks budget committee meeting, and it's boring. Change is boring. Making a difference is boring. And you have to, you know, show that you're willing to do the boring part if you want to go run for governor or Congress or fill in the blank. So I, I have a hard time supporting candidates who have no government experience. And I mean, PCP is the bare minimum. So yeah, anyway, we are here, here. running a bit short on time. Nick, did you have one other thing you want to say that I cut you no, off? I was just, I was going to say exactly that. And again, I, I like, we've got several bumper stickers already made. Just I, your, <laughs> may your words ring true, both of you guys. Cause that is absolutely could not have said it better myself or have been more informed myself about how, how important it is to go through and do all these things. Listeners. And I guess viewers, since we're on viewer there's usually like three people who watch on youtube but we're on youtube uh go be a pcb if you if you live in oregon go be a pcb um but we are coming up here at the end alex we have one question we always ask our guests at the end of the show uh who is your favorite republican and why so the two ones that i would have to go for would be jeb bush and dennis richardson so i was an intern on jeb bush's campaign in 2016 and he was the kind of policy guy who had an answer for everything. Just any question you could ask him. He was like, yeah, here's what we can do. And I, I think that kind of, you heard him during one of the debates, he was asked something about regulating um, like fantasy football. And he had an answer because that's just what he's thinking about. And Chris Christie was like, wow, you're dumb. You know, we got ISIS to think about. Don't talk about fantasy football regulations. Well, okay. That wasn't the question, but it might be the question. So like, that was cool. Being so entrenched in the world of policy that you have an answer, pretty big. Um, Dennis Richardson, uh, he's the closest thing we'll get to a, a Republican statesman for our generation, I think, for a while. I'm really hoping we can pull off a governor's race this fall, but, you know, that's going to be a tough one. Um, so he's he's the big Republican that everybody knew. You know, I only met him a few times, but all of our interactions were always super positive. Um, he demonstrated a just a willingness to be a servant to the people. Um, you know, I think when you're when you're in a position like that, God puts you on a pedestal. It's to look out for people, not look down on them. And he really emphasized looking out for people. He was a state legislator, a city councilor, and a secretary of state, and he used that to look out for people. So, um, yeah, really good lessons from him about being a servant leader. Awesome, and lessons for all of us. Thank you again for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun talking to you about the minutia of the ORP and becoming a PCP. So oh, yeah. 
thanks again. And listeners, we'll talk to you next time. You're welcome. See you later. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.